Welcome folks to podcast number 7. I am Justin Spencer-Young. This is part 2 in the series of the Value Creation Podcasts, which were the recording of a lecture that I did at Gibbs Business School just a week ago. So this part 2 is starts off with a neat little story. And the story is all about Kill the Cat. So you would have heard of Kill the Cat if you had listened to podcast number 5, when Sean and I spoke about investing basics. I need to give credit to my good friend Chris Miller, who originally shared this story with me way back in 2002, and was the source of me getting off my ass and getting invested in the markets. Since then, my learning journey in equity markets and investing has been monumental, astronomical. I've learned so much. So I hope you enjoyed the first part of the value creation lecture that I did at Gibbs. This is part two. Enjoy your listening. Okay, I'll tell you a story. Because I find that people like to hear a story. So this story is about my daughter. My daughter's name is Megan, and she'll be 15 this year. The story starts like five years ago. Maybe a bit longer. Maybe when she was nine. And she comes to me. She says, Dad, can we get a new kitty cat? Perfectly reasonable request for a nine-year-old. Can we get a new kitty cat? And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. But I don't want to say that to her, because that might just wound her for the rest of her life. She'll have proper daddy issues when she grows up. So I'm not going to say that. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to try and subtly change her mind. Hope that she changes her mind. So you might read that as I was trying to manipulate my daughter exactly what I was doing, because she does it to me all the time. So, I thought, okay, I'll ask her a few questions about this. So, if you want to get a new kitty cat, what what does it cost to go and buy this kitty cat? She kind of looks at me and she says, I don't know, Dad. I said, you need to go and find out. You need to go and do some some R&D on this this project (laughs) and go find out what a new kitty cat costs. Okay, so she goes off to mom. My wife's name is Jill. And she says to Jill, she says, Mom, can you take me to the pet shop? I want to go and find out about kitty cats. Off they go. She comes back a little bit later. Have you guys done any marketing yet? Haven't haven't got to doing marketing? Okay. Next week. All right. So this is when I work out that my daughter is probably going to be a good marketer when she grows up. Because she shows me this picture on the phone of this cutest little puppy dog. Yeah, you see. I had kitty cat in mind, and now there's this little puppy dog. And yeah, unfortunately with pet shops, these things are on a cage, and there's a price tag there, and it's a little cocker spaniel. And it's got these long floppy ears, and it's the cutest thing, and it's, the price tag there is 4,000 rand. And she says to me, she says, Dad, aren't you glad I don't want this? So I'm like, So now she's like, set me up. And And the next photograph is this little kitty cat. Cutest little thing. And the price tag is? Thousand rand. Thousand bucks. That's the one I want, Dad. Cool, cool. All right, all right. Have you got a thousand bucks? No, I don't have it. Dad, you must. Okay. So, next question. Next project, research and development project. What does it cost to feed the kitty cat? She kind of looks at me and says, Ah, oh, Dad. I said, we must go and do some research. 
So she goes off with mom to the spa and they go and price cat food. And they work out that it's like one sachet a day, half in the morning, half in the evening. And this is how much sachets, she can do the maths. She works out it's about 300 rand a month to feed the kitty cat. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, I could feed 300, 300 rand into the market. I don't want to be feeding 300 rand into the cat. <laughs> because the return that I get from the cat is very low. I must just qualify here that we've already got a kitty cat. So this is not like the first one. This is the second one. Okay, so don't tell me that I'm ruining my daughter's life because she doesn't have a pet in it. All right. So, of course, I asked her, well, how long is your cat going to live for? I mean, isn't that the most obvious question? 300 times how many? I want to know. When is this going to end? And she kind of looked at me with horror, as, as you did. <laughs> and I think if you Google the life of a cat, the Guinness World Record is 27 years or something like that. Some crazy number. So I'm starting to panic now. I'm seeing 300 times, how many months, times, 30 years. So we rounded it up to 30 years. To kind of say, formula. formula. Should we do a little formula? So that's exactly what I did with my daughter. We, we put together a spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet went like this. So, and now I need to put some T's and C's at the front of this. Because, of course, being a university, this is a very liberal um, institution. And there might be some of you here who are taking offense to the fact that I've titled this thing, Kill the Cat. I don't want anyone to take offense, please. Okay. Just know, I don't have intentions to go killing cats, and I'm certainly not training my daughter to do that. All I'm trying to do is I'm trying to kill the idea in her mind. This is figurative, okay? I don't want some of you tweeting that the lectures at Gibbs say we must kill cats in order to save money. Sure, that just gets out of control, huh? Yeah. And of course, in the creation of this spreadsheet, no cats were killed, eh? No animals were harmed. All right. So here we go. The cost of buying our kitty cat, there's the thousand rand. And feeding the kitty cat is 300 rand a month. And I could have taken that money and I could have put it in the market at a return of 18% per annum. And that would be the equivalent of 1.5% per month. Remember, that's an average over a long time, hence 30 years. All right? But cat food doesn't stay at 300 rand forever. It goes up. And I put 10% inflation here on cat food. Because everything that I buy from the spa this year looks like it's 10% more than last year. So that's why I use that, which is 0.83%. And I just use these for a whole lot of calculations that come down here from row 21 down to however far it goes. And here's some calculations. Over 10 years, you will feed your cat 61,435 rands worth of food. And over 20 years, that's 227,000 and some change. And there's the number over 30 years. 678,000 rand and some change. Now, if you took that 678,000 rand and you invested it in the market instead, you would have got out 8.8 .8 million. That's what we refer to as the opportunity cost of owning a cat. 
That's what you give up when you buy the kitty cat. And when you draw this on a graph, you see what happens? You get this exponential chart. And it's almost as if after 10 years, it's not much, eh? It's just like, just over a million. Just, yeah, just under a million there. And look what happens in the last 10 years. That's what happens if you invest the money in the market. You get this exponential growth. The longer you leave it is where the growth comes in. So I gave my daughter a choice. I'm sure there's a game show in this. It used to be called... <laughs> used to be called the money or the box show. This is called the money or the cat show. Do you want the money? Or do you want the cat? So I'm very proud of my daughter because she chose the money. But that puts me under pressure, doesn't it? Because I've got to come up with the cash in however many years' time. So here's what I did. I opened up a Satrix account. Heard of Satrix? That's just my choice. All right? You can open up a tax-free account there if you want. But I, I chose the Satrix 40. And I started putting... I didn't put 300. I started with 1,000. Because I love my daughter lots. I started with a thousand, and you can see the impact that that has. And I put a thousand rand a month into that account. The account is in her name. I just signed it as the guardian. And you know how much she has to do? Nothing. Nothing. So because it's in a Satrix 40 account fund, all that that fund is required to do is to track the top 40 shares on the JSE. Satrix buys a portfolio of shares that matches the top 40 of the JSE. And you own a portion of that and you get the performance of the market. That's how easy it is. It's like opening a bank account, having a debit order, and money's in the market. And now, I can have conversations with Megan when we go to checkers. Do you know this company is in the top 40? You're invested, you're a shareholder. The profits that they make here produce a dividend that comes into your account. You see how real it suddenly becomes? Or Pick and Pay, or Woolworths, or while we're watching MasterChef, who owns that company? Multi-choice, the DSTV, is it NASPAS? There it is. You're a shareholder. The fees that we pay. It brings the world of business in South Africa to life because suddenly now you are participating. What's the minimum amount you can invest in a Satrix 40 account? I think these have changed over a while. 250. It used to be 300. It's very inconvenient that it's 250 now. Because the fact that it was 300, it meant that I could suggest that someone else did a kill the cat exercise and found out that it was 300 rand to, to feed a cat. And that's why the Satrix account started at 300 rand a month. It's 250 now. Yeah. Their fees. Oh, man. You don't do any of this thing for any of the stuff for free, eh? So what are the fees that these guys are charging us? Is that three percent? Zero comma one percent. The fees on my Satrix account. Because no one smart here is having to, I don't know, do stuff. They're just investing it in the account. See those smart guys at Alan Gray, they're saying this. They can outperform the market. Because they're smart, they are saying, well, maybe you should be invested in Sassel now. Or maybe now's the time to be in gold. Because they know some stuff that you don't know. 
But that means they have to generate returns that are how much? To cover those fees, an extra 3% above the 18%, they've got to get 21% just to pay for their fees for you to get 18 that you would have got if you were in the Satrix 40. Do you reckon you could find 300 rand a month, 250 rand a month? And you might say to me, Justin, do you work for Satrix? Why are you selling us Satrix? And I'm going to say, well, don't use Satrix. Because if, you're, if you bank at F&B, they're going to have a product. And at EBSA, they have one as well. And maybe you want to go to a company called Core Shares, and they're going to have one. Or 10X. You know 10X? So if you Google 10X advertising, they do a whole lot of really cool adverts where they use one of the comedians, Nick Rabinovitz, thank you, and he talks about this fees issue and why 10X is the one. They're fantastically funny to go and see. Are you at 10X, eh? There we go. And what, what happens is when you are invested in the market, is you just become more conscious of the world around you and who you are invested in and what role they play in society. Let me tie this back. Let's come all the way back here. Remember our balance sheet here? This equity was a source of capital. So let me paint a scenario for you. Your uncle's auntie's cousin comes to you with a new business idea, as may happen, and wants you to invest. The first question you should be asking is, what returns can I expect? Otherwise, why would you invest? And your uncle's auntie's cousin says, uh, I don't know, 15% per annum. What do you think? It's a good return? Sounds like a good one? What if you put your money in the market, what would you get? Which one do you think is more risky? Investing in a portfolio of shares on the JSE, getting an average of 18% per annum over the long run, or putting your money into your uncle's auntie's cousin's business? So you must, you must measure the return relative to the risk. All right, you're going to get a higher return in the market spread across a portfolio of shares. The 15% return in this business is not a good investment. Even if he was offering 20%, I'll be saying, that's risky. All right. So you see this 18% starts to create a, let's call it a line in the sand if you want. Or maybe we'll call it a high water mark. If you were to build, your, build a new house next to a waterway, the first thing you go and find out is where's the 50-year flood line? Or maybe even the 100-year flood line because you want to build above it. You want to get returns that are higher than 18%. So now when we come back here to raise funding in our business, we need to know that this capital from the shareholders has in it an implied cost of 18% because that's the return that that shareholder is going to want, around about 18%. Now if we go and get some money from the bank, they're also going to want a return. Aren't they? They, don't give your money, they don't give us the money for free, do they? There's a cost attached to it. So what do you think? Do you think money from the shareholder is more expensive or less expensive than money from the bank? Money from the shareholder. Is it more expensive or less expensive? Depends what the shareholder wants. That's what the shareholder wants. There's the benchmark. What does the bank want? Prime. 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 Plus. Plus a bit maybe, or prime. What's the prime lending rate at the moment? 
10.25. In fact, I've got a chart of that. So if we're going to go to the bank to borrow the money, it's worthwhile knowing a little bit about the cost of that money. And here is my, my repo chart, as I call it. The repo rate is the darker line underneath here. Historically going back to 2004. So where is it at the moment? There is 6.75 is the repo rate. And banks add 3.5 percentage points to that to get to the prime rate. So typically a bank will go and borrow their money from the reserve bank and then lend it on. So it costs them 6,75 and they lend it to us at 10,25. There's their profit margin. Okay, plus the fees and all those other things that come along after that. 10,25. That's what debt costs. So this is a bit of a trick question. Is that really what it costs? Is that really what it costs? So there's some, there's some fees on top of that. There are some fees. But what I want to show you is this. That interest expense that we pay, here it is in the income statement. Now we're talking as a business now. We're not talking as an individual. Here it comes in the income statement. What's the tax rate in South Africa? 28%. 28%. Is interest a tax-deductible expense? Think about what that question means. Is interest a tax-deductible expense? It is. So look in the income statement and you'll see that the interest expense is above the tax line. Therefore, you subtract the interest before you get to the profit number when you calculate the tax. So whatever that profit before tax is, you find out what is 28% of that number. By borrowing money, we actually pay less tax. By borrowing money, we pay less tax. Isn't that cool? By borrowing money, we pay less tax. Can you do that as an as a individual? No. If you borrow money, will you pay less tax? No. no. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It works like that for companies. Okay, so why is that the case? Have you heard of this thing called P-A-Y-E? It sits at the top of your income statement. In other words, it's deducted before you receive your sales income, if that's your salary. And then you pay any interest expenses that you've got. So you see there's a subtle difference here between an individual and a company as to when you pay your tax. But for a company, there's an incentive to borrow money. Because if I borrow money, my interest expense goes up, which my, makes my profits go down, and therefore I pay less tax. But remember, the profits are going down. And how is that affecting your ability to endure? Remember, endure and grow from earlier? There's a relationship there. So we can do a little calculation that looks like this. Take that 10,25%, 10,25%, and multiply it by 1 minus 0,28. Let me rewrite that for you. If you take 10,25 and multiply it by 0.72, what will happen to the number? It will get smaller. Okay, what is it? Can I make it 7,4? Because you get this tax saving by borrowing money and incurring the interest expense, the net cost of the debt is 7,4%. That's because you are effectively paying less tax. 
you still pay the bank your 10,25%. That doesn't change. Okay? That's what you pay the bank. But the tax saving means the combined cost is lower. So now we've got a cost of... How much does equity cost? 18%, because that's what you would expect in the market. What does debt cost? 7,4%. Which one's cheaper? Debt is like way cheaper, isn't it? Who here likes debt? <laughs> Depends on the type of debt, yeah? So there's good debt and bad debt, eh? Is uh, spending on your credit card good debt or bad debt? Ah, there we go. Listen, guys. Dealer's going to say that again. Depends if you pay it back within, which is the interest-free period, isn't it? Yeah. Then it's beautiful debt because it's free. All those expenses, you should put them on your credit card. You should use the bank's money, shouldn't you? Take your cash, put it in your bond, use the bank's money for a month, take it out of your bond, top up your credit card, get it back to zero. And what have you done? You've sat on your cash and earned interest income while you've used the bank's money for free. You do that for your rest of your life, how much money are you going to save? Enough to go on a trip around the world. That courtesy of ABSA, because it's interest-free. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. that You want them to use their debit cards, hey? Yes, please. Because you still get to charge the fees, but they're using their money, not your money. Wow. See, the stuff they don't tell you when you go to school. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yes, good debt and bad debt. So, this is debt we use to grow the business. I'm assuming this is good debt. This is to do research and development. This is to expand the plant. This is to buy the competition or whatever it may be. Replace the assets. So now we need to decide what combination of the two. How much debt should we use and how much equity should we use? So I'm going to give you a rule of thumb. Otherwise we would be playing guessing games here all morning. How about that? Does that, does that sort of feel right? More equity than debt, because debt brings in the risk. And I will show you some, some math a little bit later. It will be next week on how we get to that number, why that's the right number. So can you guys do a calculation for me? Can you do a weighted average calculation? So 70% of our money costs 18%. 30% of our money costs 7,4%. What's the average cost? What's the average cost? Okay, so let me repeat that. 70% of our money costs 18%. When I say our money, it's our business that we're funding. And 30% of our money costs 7,4%. What's the average cost? See if you can work it out. We've actually done this calculation not 10 minutes ago. Can you see the similarity between what I've put here? calculating the cost of debt and equity and the calculation I did here about our investment returns. So here I'm asking what's 70% of 18? And what's 30% of 7,4? 14,8. Give me a little bit of latitude here. And I'm going to round it up to 15%. I want to find the average cost of these two sources of funds. Knowing that I use 70% of equity and 30% of debt. And once you get those calculations, you add these two together. 
14.8 and I've just rounded it up to 15. So now when I go back to my balance sheet, you'll see the same numbers are in my balance sheet. Here they are. The combined cost here is 15%. We'll use that number. And now we're going to give it a very Lani name. Does anyone know the name of it? It's a weighted average, isn't it? Because it's weighted according to the proportions. And this is our capital. Is it a weighted average cost of capital? That's what our capital costs us. Weighted average cost of capital. So let me take you all the way back here to endure and grow our cycle of life. Profitability comes out of the income statement. We've explored a little bit of this today in the Test Your Knowledge, and we're going to look into this in more detail. But this is profitability. Growth is buying new assets, making new investments, employing more people, all those sorts of things. And in order to grow, we said we needed capital. And we had this conversation about where it comes from, and how much it costs, and the combination of the two. And we use this capital to invest in the operations. So I want you guys to put yourself in a box, just for a moment, because we know we don't like to be boxed into a, one place. But where you work, what you do for a living, are you in the capital box or are you in the operations box? And if I were to guess, I would say you're all in the operations box. If you are an entrepreneur and you own your own business, you can put yourself in the capital box and the operations box because you are responsible for everything. But typically, if you work for a company, you're going to be in the operations box. Unless you are the CFO, or the CEO, or a senior member of the board, who are responsible for the capital of the organization. And those guys are also responsible for the dividend policy, how much money gets paid back to shareholders. And they're responsible for raising debt capital, negotiating the interest rates with the banks and the term of that debt and the amount of that debt. That is a reserved area in the business for some of the very senior folk. But otherwise, we're going to be in the operations box, aren't we? So those guys who've raised the capital, they are handing it over to you. They're saying, hey guys, we've raised all this capital. Here it is. They don't give you the cash, but they give you the assets to access in order to generate returns. How much must those returns be? How much must the returns be that you generate from here? They must be higher than 15%. They must be more than 15%. Then you are creating value. You see the last leg of our cycle here? So let me simplify this for you for a moment. How do we destroy value? I'm going to go to ABSA. And I'm going to borrow a million rand. Did you? How much interest rate are you going to charge me on my million rand? See, <laughs> what a good answer. Eh? <laughs> you. Okay, I'm going back to my bank. Thanks. <laughs> so let's call it 11%, 10% if you want to do the maths. It's easier. So I borrowed this money at 10%. Now I'm going to take this money and I'm going to go put it over here in my standard bank. How convenient. In my standard bank savings account. What am I, interest am I going to get on my standard bank interest? Eight. That's good. Sure. I wasn't going to expect eight. I was hoping for five. 
So eight I'll take. But it doesn't matter. It's eight or five, it's less than ten, isn't it? So what's the long-term dynamic here? Because I don't earn enough interest here to pay that off. So to pay that off, I then have to use some of the capital from here to pay off what I owe over there. Unless I have some other source. But in the long run, the capital will be depleted here. And all I'm going to do over there is pay the interest. So at the end of this, I'm still going to owe the money. Have I destroyed value? Clearly. And the simple thing is, it cost me 10, I invested at 8. Bad investment. The only difference between that example and what's on the board there is I've taken the million rand from ABSA. I've gone and found some shareholders who've given me 2 million rand. And they expect 18%. And the weighted average combination of these two, let's call it 15. So I have to then take this money and go and invest it somewhere that earns me more than 15%. I can't come and put it in the Standard Bank Savings Account, can I? I've got to put it to work in assets to produce higher returns than 15% to create value. And if you do that as a company year in, year out, the share price goes up. If you can't earn returns that are higher than your cost of capital, generally the share price goes down or sideways. The correlation is very, very high. And I'll show you graphs of that when we come back together next week. Of the correlation between value creation and share price growth. Earning returns that are higher than your cost of capital. So you see the connection between my stock market graph and the accounting stuff that we were talking about. It comes back to performance. And I said to you, my objective, by the time we get to next Saturday, is that we're going to look at a set of numbers and ask, is this business creating value, destroying value? It is a high-performing company, growing company. We want to do those sorts of analysis of it. Now, is there some accounting that we've got to do along the way? Yes, because we've got to understand the income statement and the balance sheet to be able to do that. But this morning, I've given you a little bit of a framework to be able to ana analyze performance and a little bit of understanding of how this balance sheet income statement stuff works. Thank you.